Hey, what's up? Welcome to Angular Air. I'm Justin Schwarzenberger, and today's show, we're going to be talking about Angular Material 2. Uh, but before we kick that off, uh, i got a few announcements to make. We've got a couple new sponsors. Uh, Hired.com is joining us to help us out. Uh, if you guys are looking for a job, uh, go ahead and check those guys out at Hired.com. Kind of fill out some information, and you get uh, potential companies looking for you. So check those guys out. And we also have Angular Up helping us out. Uh, Angular Up is the first international Angular conference in Israel. Uh, Israel actually has a huge community of Angular developers. Uh, it's one of the largest in the world, really. Um, so lots of awesome speakers and talks. And uh, there's a special Angular quiz with awesome prizes and more. Uh, this conference is pretty special because it also offers a tour of the Dead Sea and Jerusalem for guests from abroad. So check them out at angular-up.com. I believe that's coming up on uh, November 17th of 2016. So very happy to have these sponsors with us. So let's get into today's show. Uh, our panelists today, we've got Mike Brocky. Mike, how's it going? Not too bad. How's it going there? Good, good. Uh, we also have uh, NG Panda, Austin McDaniel. Austin, how's it going? Good. How's everybody doing? Cool. Um, and then our guest today, uh, we got two from the uh, Angular team. We got uh, Kara Erickson and Jeremy Elborn joining us. How's it going? Hello. Hello. All right. Today we're going to talk uh, Angular Material 2. So uh, can you guys give us a little rundown about uh, who you guys are, uh, what you guys do, and... and uh, what you're working on. Uh, sure. So hi, I'm Jeremy. Uh, I'm the tech lead for Angular Material 2, uh, which is a, an effort from the Angular team to provide Angular applications a really high-quality UI component library uh, based on Google's material design specification. And we had a version of this library for Angular Material 1. Uh, I mean, for Angular 1. And... Uh, we're now working on a, a version of it for Angular 2, uh, currently in Alpha. Nine? Well, yeah, Alpha 9 is our current release. Yeah. Um, I'm Kara. I work on the Angular Material team as well. I also split my time between Angular Material and the Forms module for Core. And mm -hmm. lately, I was at Angle Brackets doing an Angular Material talk. And now I'm back in Mountain View. Very cool, very cool. Glad to have you guys joining us today. Um, so can you give us a rundown on what Angular Material 2 is for uh, viewers that might not uh, know about it yet? Right, right. So yeah, I mentioned uh, a second ago, it's aiming to build uh, UI components, things like buttons, ready buttons, checkboxes, and then some more advanced things, uh, selects, date pickers, eventually data tables, uh, built on top of Angular 2 so that people who are using Angular to build their applications have is really nice UI components to just drop in and get this really easy, beautiful UI experience uh, without very much effort. Okay, so it's uh, really this design and, and common use components as well as functionality and stuff there right. um, wrapped I, in, I right? Also mention, uh, that with uh, Angular Material, we're also working on making the foundations upon which we build these components available to the community as well. Because 
Uh, a lot of UI components, they share a lot of common behaviors, things like having to open up a little floating panel that's attached to some trigger and having to trap focus inside of an element for accessibility reasons or uh, needing to perform uh, live announcements for accessibility reasons. Uh, so keyboard events. Yeah, like handling keyboard events. We, so we have a lot of this common functionality in our core for any of the material that will be making available to people as well so they can build their own UI components on top of this as well without being coupled to that very specific look of material design. We call it our component toolkit. Or we have been yes. in the past. Tentative name. Yeah. Component toolkit. Okay, okay, cool. I said, is uh, the component toolkit available today? Uh, for people to start using. Just curious. So right now, you can import the different pieces of it through Angular Material. Uh, we are still evolving it as we work on the components because we're not going to really know what works and what doesn't work well until we build a lot of components on it and then get feedback on those components and iterate a few times. But once we're at a point where we're comfortable with the stability and the feature set that we're offering we will likely break those out into their own package and make them available a little more directly. So there's going to be like a scope package there where you could, users could kind of decide, I want to bring that scope package in versus the entire thing or versus these parts of it and kind of compose what they want in their application. So right now, uh, Material is uh, scoped under Angular. So it's at Angular slash Material. Uh, in the future, there might be just another package under Angular that might be like at Angular Component Toolkit or something like that. Uh, maybe we'll come up with a smarter name for it. I like the name. <laughs> the toolkit. We'll talk. Cool, cool. <laughs> All right. So, um, so is it kind of fair to say that it's similar to something like maybe uh, Bootstrap, where you have this library that somebody would go, okay, I want these common components. I want this way to theme them and, and make this design look and, and some common functionality, but for the Angular space? Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, we, we do provide just like that core set of components to give you one unified visual experience across the whole application. And... Um, if you're, I suppose I should also mention what material design is. Uh, so material design is this design language that Google has published. Uh, it comes from Google's uh, UX designers and visual designers uh, that uses this concept of your application being composed of physical materials like paper to kind of express uh, like a very stark uh, and striking UI. And if you've used any of the, um, like any Google app on Android is, is using this. And some of the desktop applications like Google Keep, uh, Inbox, uh, Google Play Music, uh, the Google Play Store, all of them are using this, this visual language. And uh, the components are providing the same thing uh, on a, in a way that's tightly coupled or like type, seamlessly integrated with mm -hmm. Angular. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, high-quality um, components. Can you kind of explain a little bit what that means? 
yeah. Sorry, I feel like I'm monopolizing all the talk. Do you I, I mean, I could take this one if you want. Um, so, or we can <laughs> go back and forth. Uh, so by high quality, we mean that we have certain standards that we want for every component. Like, every component has to be accessible. It has to work on a variety of screen readers. It has to work for people that maybe are only using a keyboard, so keyboard months, stuff like that. Um, it also has to have great performance. Um, and also, the API has to be easy to use. We want it to be really intuitive, so you can kind of just snap it into your application and it works the way that you expect. What else am I missing? Accessibility, performance. Uh, internationalization. Internationalization. So for RTL, construction uh, layouts, things like that. Um, so we aim to have these all very well tested in all of these different scenarios and environments so that whenever you use a material design component, you can be confident that it'll work for everybody. So, right. And the way we're... Awesome. Uh, and like right now, we're still in alpha, mm -hmm. so still early in the development life cycle, uh, working some things out. But before we get to our final release, uh, we plan on having automated performance tests, automated accessibility tests, and uh, screenshot tests to make sure that we don't have any regressions on any of these fronts. Now, uh, part of that accessibility, does that extend into mobile as well? Is that one of the areas that you're uh, focusing on and ensuring your tests on are working on? Right, right. So our, already our, our unit tests run and our, yeah, just our unit tests are running on mobile Safari right now. Yeah. Um, we don't specifically run them on Chrome uh, for Android because regular Chrome seems to catch the same unit test issues. Uh, but we will definitely be like doing as much as we can to test on mobile as well. So they're going to be responsive pretty much out of the box in Safari. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is the plan. Uh, we haven't gotten much into the responsive bits of the components yet. We've mainly been focused in, on just adding the behaviors that they need, like working <laughs> and existing uh, during the alpha. Uh, so probably as we progress through the beta period of the, the library, we'll be working more on the responsive aspects. Yeah, and especially as we work on that more, we'll have more helpers from the toolkit that will make sure that the responsive bits work consistently with everything, so for gestures and things like that. You guys were uh, talking about, you know, comparing it to Bootstrap and, and things like that. Is this, you know, for viewers that aren't familiar with the normal material or the Angular 1 material, I mean, is this a CSS library? Can, can you kind of expand on that? It's both CSS and TypeScript code. Uh, it, yeah, it's a lot more than just CSS. It's not like you're just adding classes to your existing layout. They're directives and components. So if you're adding a card component, you just you type MD card like any other directive. And put it, just kind of drop it in. Yeah, and there, there are services as well, uh, right. like our, our dialog as a service, where you just call dialog.open, pass it a component, and you'll get that in a mobile dialog. And all of these should have APIs that make it easy for the user to do what they need to do in their applications. And a big win, too, is over something that's just CSS classes, is that they, it integrates with Angular Core. So, for instance, all of our form controls integrate with Angular Forms. So everything that you're building is kind of made for this ecosystem. So That's awesome. You guys have AOT support yet? Uh, yes. It, AOT should work just fine. Uh, every once in a while we encounter a bug, but that's the nature of software. Um, and we have uh, 
I'm trying to remember the number. It's there's a number of applications inside of Google who are already using it, and uh, inside of Google, AOT is the only thing that's allowed. <laughs> so uh, we know it works through at least through that. <laughs> Cool. So uh, how would somebody make the decision on if they want to adopt and use this in their project? Like, is it something that they're going, okay, we, we want to do the material design approach to our application, so that's why we're going to use this? Or uh, are there other factors, maybe not that? Maybe they look and say, well, look, we, we want a nice look and feel, and um, we're just going to adopt this and, and go with that material design as well. Um, how, how can people kind of get into making the decision on, on pulling the trigger on this. Right. So the, there's a couple of reasons you might want to use it. Uh, the first is if you're just building a quick application, if you're building some kind of like dashboard or internal tool or just some tool for yourself, it's super easy to just drop these components in and have something uh, that doesn't look terrible. Um, and then, as you mentioned, if you're building more of a like a user-facing application, the, the first part of your decision is going to have to be that you do want this material design look and feel. Um, if you don't want that, then um, you'd either have to do a lot of customization of the CSS or you'd have to just focus on using the, the non-visual parts of the library. Uh, but if you do want that visual appearance... Uh, for material design, and you are using Angular, we would hope that then we would be the like obvious choice for any application uh, because our components will do all of the work for you for things like accessibility and making sure we're doing the most intelligent thing performance-wise and so on. So with uh, providing the CSS to uh, match the visual design language there, um, and I remember hearing something cool about it. I wonder if you could talk about a little bit more about how you provide uh, accessibility to do some theming and some customizations of what you get. If you're shipping CSS with it, how would I, as a uh, consumer of the library, uh, be able to customize how it looks for me and my applications? All right. Uh, so right now the way the theming works is you're using SAS to create a theme. Uh, so we have in our NPM package uh, a set of SAS mixins and functions that you import into your, your own application, and you use those to define a theme file where all, all you're doing is you're specifying with the primary and accent and uh, optionally a worn color for your application are, and then passing that those colors into uh, a mixin that Material uses um, that is going to output a CSS file, which you just drop into your application and just a standard link element. Uh, you don't have to use SAS for your entire application. You just need this one theme file that usually ends up like 10 lines of code. Uh, and that gives you the full control over uh, the colors for your application. And it supports both light themes and dark themes. Awesome. So you can provide both um, as part of your... Um, usage of the mixins. Right, right. You can define your application can then support both. You can define themes that are specific to particular components. Uh, so you could create a theme that only applies to checkbox if you wanted to. Um, you could also, instead of having just one of these theming files, you could make multiple theming files and then load them lazily based on some user preference. So a, a user can control the theme colors as well. <laughs> 
And this is um, this is in our Angular Connect talk, the theming stuff. So if you want to see a demo of what that looks like, uh, some of that is at the end of the talk. Yeah, that was a really good talk. We'll throw up a link to that in the show notes. Um, definitely people should check that out because it had a lot of stuff with the theming, all kinds of things. Um, we got a couple of questions people are, are reaching out on. Uh, Flexbox supported inside of this? So uh, they're probably referring to the layout uh, features that we had in Angular Material 1. Uh, so the first version of Angular Material for Angular 1 uh, provided a set of directives for um, setting up your layout in your application that was uh, essentially just a set of syntactic sugars you can use in your template for setting up uh, display flex CSS rules. And we are ex still exploring what we're going to do for Material 2 in that regard. Now, the components themselves are not going to be coupled to any particular layout system. And uh, they will... like. Essentially, the component, each component is just a box, right? And you're going to be using whatever you want in your own application to decide how to lay out those boxes. Um, but that said, we know a ton of people really loved the layout system in Angular Material 1, and so we're looking now at turning that into its own standalone library uh, that is uh, more specific in saying, like, this is a, a Flexbox-based layout system for Angular. You can use it with your application and with Angular Material uh, to set up whatever layouts you want. Um, but we're also, like, potentially in the future, we could have other layout tools as well, maybe something that's based on CSS Grid, uh, which is uh, an incoming standard. Yeah. So we're, okay. we're, we're still cool. figuring out the final approach for that. Cool. And then we also, uh, along those lines with Material 1, I uh, have a question about uh, the... Layout API, will it be similar to that which was in Angular or Material 1? Yeah, same answer. We're still, uh, we're still hammering that out. Um, in fact, I, the reason I, ha I have to leave in 10 minutes and the reason is because I have a meeting about this exact thing. <laughs> <For real enough. laughs> well, we don't, definitely don't want to keep you from doing more work on it. So, <laughs> cool. Um, so what about uh, the uh, roadmap for everything going forward, kind of? Now, what, what are you seeing? Uh, I know you talked, I think the Angular Connect talk about uh, maybe beta on track for end of 2016. Right. And so we are definitely still on track for that beta by the end of 2016. Uh, within the last two weeks, we just added uh, three new members to the Angular Material team. Doubled the team. Yeah, doubled the size <laughs> of the team. Uh, and we are using these extra resources to make sure that what we release for our beta by the end of the year is really solid. And um, we should talk a little bit about what beta means for us. Uh, we consider the beta to be the point where we're saying, we think these components are stable enough to use in your application, and the goal of our beta period is to get feedback from people using the components to make sure that what we're doing is working for everybody in variety of use cases and different applications so that we can make adjustments based on that feedback during beta in order to get to a final release. Um, there's not going to be 100% feature parity with what Angular Material 1 offered at the point of beta because there's still going to be a few things in flight, but we think a large enough portion of the library is ready for people to use 
that it would be very valuable for us to start getting that feedback. Okay. And um, is that something where people should wait to really entrench that into their applications until, or so they should so they just be playing around with this stuff right now and getting a feel for it? Or, or could they start baking it into their apps and feel pretty good about adopting whatever API is there? Or is that going to potentially change? Uh, the majority of uh, the library is not going to change a ton between now and when we release our beta. Uh, the bulk of the work um, in the next couple of months is going to be bug fixes and adding some more features that aren't there presently. Uh, the A couple of areas that are going to see some change are um, all of our CSS classes are going to change. So if you're depending on those to stay the same, then... Uh, that's not going to work out. And our MD input, uh, our input control, is going to change. Uh, I don't know. The API is going to change it's quite in, a lot. It's, it's <laughs> in flex. But then also have attributes, right? We're going through another pass to make yeah. sure that everything is either camel cased or right, right. kebab cased. Yeah, we're gonna, we'll be making a lot of the, the properties and attributes more consistent because right now there's a few inconsistencies across the library. So, but those will be more minor renames that should be right. easy to change. Minor renames, but, but breaking. I mean, we, we are still in alpha. So keep in mind that because we're doing bug fixes and all that, there are probably still bugs. So just yeah. like be patient with them. Yeah. And there's about uh, three new components that will be added over the next couple of months as well. And since you are in such a state of flux, are you uh, providing change logs then with each release? Or yeah, yeah so every every major release has a a change log um, where we should mention the breaking changes, and if we don't, then it that was a mistake. Do these components work with uh, ng upgrade? Can I kind of use them in a hybrid app? Yeah, so you can use ng upgrade with the material two components to downgrade them to work in Angular 1. Uh, however, you cannot use ng-upgrade on the majority of the Material 1 components. Uh, and that is because the Material 1 components deploy a variety of techniques that don't quite work in Angular 2, uh, such as using the dollar compile service at runtime in order to um, have something like a Let's see, what's an example of this? Something like menu in Material 1, uh, you provided an item template. And then at runtime, it took that item template, compiled it, and then stamped out individual items. And that uh, concept doesn't apply exactly into Angular 2. And so ng-upgrade can't automatically figure out how to, to do that, uh, that upgrading. So I have so a question, question about... about uh, I'm getting, I'm getting feedback here. Okay. Um, if uh, we have a show recently where we talked about building component libraries and, and stuff like that and, and distributing those, um, have you guys for, for this library kind of feel like you figured out a bunch of stuff in terms of patterns and practices for building that sort of thing that's distributed that somebody could look at your source code and kind of get a feel and say, hey, I'm going to use this as a reference for when I go to build my component library because they're doing things that they figured out work really well in the ecosystem of Angular and building modules and stuff like that. So are you talking about just the, the packaging and deployment or the development of the library itself? I really want to know about 
it as a whole, right? Like if, if I'm sitting there going, okay, I want to make it, you know, so, so not too much in detail, but like the things that you figured out from all those things that, that are involved, right? The delivery of it, but also the organization of where you put these components and directives and, and concepts. I mean, do you feel really good about what you've established in this package that somebody could reference and go, oh, we can make theirs in that sort of way, same way? So for the library itself, uh, absolutely. One of our goals for any of the material is to serve as a best practice example for Angular users uh, such that even if they're not using the components directly, they can look at the source code and see clean, readable examples of how to implement certain things or how to take advantage of Angular features. And I think for the, the library itself, the way the components are built and the way that the core is built uh, are in a very good shape uh, in that regard right now. Uh, as far as the packaging and the building and the deploying goes, uh, I can't speak uh, very much on that. Uh, all of our, our, so we follow the, the practices of what Angular itself does for all of those things. Uh, so most of uh, the decisions on how are we packaging this up and how are we deploying it uh, have been just following Angular Core, which has been the work of... Uh, Rob Wormold and Igor and Hans Larsen and uh, some other people on the Angular team as well. And then what about uh, the theming stuff that you guys got in there now? Do you feel pretty good about that? I mean, I think that's another thing that people think about is even if they're not building a component library, they're going, okay, I'm building my app. I, I kind of want to be able to have this theme and this CSS styling go, go through. Um, the things that you've implemented in there do you feel really good about that structure for that and something that somebody could look and go oh well, i could do the same kind of thing with my app yeah i mean i think the well i mean jeremy built theming so maybe it's uh, a little biased, I, but i'm pretty happy with the way the theming works right now uh there are definitely some enhancements that need to happen in the future uh with respect to theming uh one uh, aspect of that is uh, what we're doing right now doesn't play very nicely with native Shadow DOM, uh, but most people don't care about that because Internet Explorer and Edge and Firefox don't support native Shadow DOM yet, uh, so it's not a huge priority. Um, we'll also be working more on uh, extending what we're doing for theming to try to, to make it so that you have control over more of how the components are rendered. Right now, the theming only uh, really affects colors. Uh, so in the future, we'll be looking into how can we grow that to, to encompass more customization. Uh, but uh, from the user standpoint, it is very, very easy to... I'm happy with the way how easy it is to create the theme and include it in your application uh, and get exactly what you want from that. I mean, it's pretty pretty intuitive, right? You just define your palette and then build it, and then yeah. And the and the, the fact that the whole thing happens uh, at compilation time is really good. Um, Angular Material One used uh, runtime technique for doing theming, uh, which was very intuitive for people because you just used an Angular provider, set your colors, and everything just worked. Uh, the problem uh, that we ran into sometimes was because it was doing it at runtime, you're incurring this cost of generating a large body of styles uh, during your application startup, uh, which in some performance critical uh, cases was problematic. So cool. <laughs> you, you were talking about uh, extending the, uh, the 
extensibility uh, beyond just uh, color theming. Um, so my one question is, have you brought in the animation library to animate the different um, aspects of some of the different components and directives in there uh, currently? And do you have plans of potentially exposing that to maybe for me, maybe I want my animations to be a little bit slower or faster or anything like that? So the animations API is pretty new. So for some of the older components, we obviously didn't, it wasn't really released yet, so we didn't have it. But for some of the newer ones, like the select that we're building right now, it definitely takes advantage of the new animations API. And we do plan on using it. Uh, I don't know if you want to answer well, that question. So your, your question was more about the customization of the animations, which is? Well, initially, whether or not you were taking advantage of it and uh, using it, if you had progressed that far in the development cycle. And then also, uh, furthermore, if you were going to expose any of those uh, pieces once the animation library um, shores. Right. The, the, the tricky thing about uh, exposing customization for the animations right now is that it wouldn't play super nicely with AOT uh, because the AOT compilation, um, there's a step involved where it extracts the metadata from the component. So everything inside your component or your directive uh, decorators, uh, it, it extracts that statically at compile time. And so you don't have the ability to like call a function inside uh, that animation setup because it would need to evaluate that function at runtime in order to know what the result should be. Um, we might be able to find ways to improve this in the future, but right now all the animations are just set in stone. And are the current, uh, the animation standards or what have you, um, are they defined in the actual material design library or are those things that you're defining, like um, if there any particular animation that has a speed quality or anything like that, um, are you making those up as you go, or is that part of the actual material uh, design so, spec? Yeah, the material design spec uh, gives direction as to uh, what like these animation curves and timing should be in a lot of cases, and we also have... Uh, access to just go and ask the designers if we run into a case where it's, the, the spec is ambiguous. <laughs> uh, it is a, it's 11.30 now, so I have oh, to no. depart, unfortunately. Uh, but Kara should be able to answer. Uh, it's just me now. Else. So okay. thanks we for, appreciate your time, Jeremy. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. All right. Uh, do you want to hop into some demo code or... Uh, or questions that they want to get in here, or what? Um, I mean, it's up to you. Whatever you want to see slash ask. <laughs> so yeah, that's, I mean, let's just get into the demo then. So let's see. So what we were going to demo today? Oh no! <laughs> Wait, hold. On, let me just get off that. Can you see my screen? Anything? Yes. Okay. So so we were going to. Um, to demo the new overlay directives from our kind of fledgling component toolkits. These are not released or anything, but just to kind of give you a sneak peek of some of the things that we're working on. Um, so here I have, let's see, what did I actually put in here? I have an empty kind of, so right now the select isn't in master, so I just kind of prepped a fake trigger and a fake panel. And then I could show you how the overlay directives make creating an overlay really easy. Um, cool. Can you can you uh, zoom in on your code a little bit? Make yeah, it a little sure. bit bigger. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, so let me okay. actually go back. Is that good? Yeah. Can you go a little bit more? 
Perfect. Make that work. <laughs> really big on my screen. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So just to kind of show you what we have, we just have, yeah, like a fake trigger. We have a fake panel. And right now they're both always showing. So to kind of show you the need for why overlay directives are handy, um, first I'm going to try to do this with regular Angular, um, just the way that you might intuitively want to do it. And then we're going to switch it over to the overlay directives so you can see kind of where they help out. So... Um, so right now what we want to do is if you click on the trigger, it should toggle this drop-down menu below. So obviously it's hidden to begin with. You click on the trigger, it shows. You click on the trigger again, it hides. So if we wanted to make this work with regular code, what we might do is add an NGF on this panel. So you might say, hey, only show if this is showing. And then on the trigger, you might say, hey, um, when you click the trigger, you should toggle the showing property. Okay, so that works to start with. Okay, that seems to work fine. So that's cool. Um, but what if we wanted to close the panel whenever you click outside the body, like here? So obviously that doesn't work right now. Um, so what we could do, again, just using lives here, is we could say, hey, let's create a backdrop that only shows if the panel is showing. And when you click this backdrop, let's close the menu. It's showing equals false. And we can make this backdrop in our select SAS here. We could make this position absolute. We could make it span the whole screen. So let's see if this works. Okay, that seems to work fine. Okay, so obviously I'm building up to you. Something's gonna go wrong. <laughs> so let's say we put this in, where am I? Select demo. Is that where I want to put it? Yeah, I suppose so. Um, so let's, put, let's say we put our select into an absolute container. So, let's see. Position, absolute. Okay, so now this, oops, I clicked too hard. <laughs> so now this no longer works, right? So if we click outside the menu, it no longer closes. And that's because as soon as we put it in absolute container, as we all know, um, when you try to span the whole container, it's a lot smaller. It no longer spans the whole application page because it's a new stock in context. So that's one thing that the overlay directives help with. So if you look at something like dialogue, um, so this is built with our overlay service. So when you open the dialog, so you can like inspect this, what it does is it creates an overlay container div at the end of the body. And to make sure that it's always outside of whatever positioned elements that you might have, and it has a high Z index. And so it'll always display over everything else, no matter what. And the backdrop will always um, span the whole page and will always work. Um, so that's one thing. And then for things like, menus, which also use our overlay services. Um, this is a connected overlay, so it's not only globally positioned like the dialogue would be. So not only is it uh, appended to the end of the DOM, it also has to be positioned correctly despite being at the end of the DOM so that it still looks like it's a child of or a sibling of that button. Um, so that's kind of what the overlay directives can do. So if we go back to the select page, I don't think I clicked that very quickly show you how to incorporate these. So in our module, if we import the overlay module, import that. 
overlay module. Okay. Then in our select HTML, we can go ahead and add the overlay directives. So let's clean out all this old code. Okay, so there are two directives that we need. The first one is called overlay origin, and that's just wherever you want the, over the overlay to, so it's basically the overlay's trigger, the origin of the overlay. And on the other side, you want to create a template, put our panel inside, and this is going to have the connected overlay directive. So this is the actual overlay that will be connected. And then to associate the two with one another, you can export the overlay origin directive, overlay origin, and then pass it in here. So the origin equals origin. And then you can determine whether or not it's open based on whatever property you want to pass in. If we go back to the main page, okay, so that took maybe 30 seconds, this is already working. Um, but the joy of it is if you wanna add the same backdrop functionality that we had before, it's just as quick and it will work anywhere. So let's say we want to add a backdrop here. So we'll say has backdrop. And then when the backdrop is clicked, oops, we want to set showing false. Oops, let's click. I want its backdrop click, yeah. Okay, let's reload. All right, so I've kept the backdrop black for now so you can see it. Oh, I, fit, I forgot to add something. So we actually need to add a color to our, um, to our panel here so that it looks correct. So let me just really quickly add a panel color. This is what I get for prepping five minutes before. Okay, so this is the background. Background should be, let's see if I remember this. I think it's just card. All right, cool. So I've kept the backdrop black so you can see it. So obviously there's a backdrop. <laughs> and then when you click on it, it closes, despite being in a positioned absolute container. And we can go ahead and turn off uh, the backdrop color by passing in a custom backdrop class. And we happen to have one for this that we ship with called MD Overlay Transparent Backdrop. And then as soon as we do that, it'll just look like a regular select. So to load, cool. So there's a few other features here that I could show you. I don't know how much you guys are interested in. Um, it's kind of up to you. Well, we have time <laughs> and I think we're definitely interested. Uh, okay. So yeah, um, can I ask a question real quick about uh, what are you guys gonna support uh, stacking of these things or uh, multiple ones going on? Yeah. yeah, so the overlay services are kind of in their infancy right now. Um, so this is actually something that Jeremy's working on, so I kind of wish um, that he had stayed because he could uh, talk to what he's building. But um, yeah, there's a lot of things that are still in the docket for that. So we definitely want to support overlay grouping. So I think that's what you're talking about. So if you want to have multiple overlays open at the same time, or maybe you want to control only these overlays can be open while these overlays aren't, um, you might want to have, yeah, overlays that are overlapping. There's there's a lot of edge cases and things like that that we want to support. Um, but just to start with, uh, we have these directives and um, we have the basic services to kind of get you up and running. But here, let me, I can show you some of the, a few more of the features that we do have um, since you said we had time, if that answers your question. <laughs> yes, yes, thank you. Okay. So let's see, what else can I show you? So we also have positioning. So let's say 
So right now it defaults to drop-down style, so it'll always connect this top left overlay point with the bottom left trigger point. So we can update that. So if we want to have our own custom position in selects.ts, which I don't have this. Um, we can go ahead and add a positions object. So let's see. We can pass in a custom position. So we can say we want our origin X to be at the start, our origin Y to be at the top, our overlay X to be at the start, and our overlay Y to be at the top. So that way it'll have the triggers top left overlap with the overlays top left rather than the bottom left. And then in our directive, um, we can pass in a custom positions object, which is positions. And then it should uh, connect at the right point. So let's see. Kara has some awesome live coding skills. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, obviously, well, it's because the directives are easy to use. <laughs> so that's what we're trying to, to communicate anyway. But um, so these positions are very or configurable. So right now I said, you know, start top, start top. But we could do, you know, crazy stuff. Like <laughs> we wanted to start at the end. It's not that crazy. But uh, we could always show it a different Wait for this to reload. Sorry, it's taking a second. Oh no. Oh, the the, the widths are the same, so you can't tell. <laughs> okay, well it is connecting at the the top right. You just can't see it because they both have the same min width. Um, but yeah, so you can do the positions. What else can you do? You can also set the width of the overlay. So if you did something like, uh, so let's see, in our select demo, we can make the placeholder actually. This is just this is just hard coded. Yeah, this is a trigger that I like. We made this really long. Okay, so, oh yeah, so now you can see that's at the end, right? Um, but you can see that the widths don't match up anymore um, because your trigger and your panel are in different places in the DOM. They're not inheriting from each other, they're not talking to each other. Um, so what you can do is you can set the width yourself. So if you wanted to set the width of the overlay, you can tell me like width equals width. I'm just gonna make this pretty quick thing. So, so you wanted to get the width um, of the, oh, you want it to match the trigger, so. Get a reference to our trigger. So let's say uh, if we create a local template variable trigger that's not connected to anything, so it's going to be the element ref. So up here we can do a view trial query for that trigger. Import that. This will be an element ref. Oh, which I also need to import. Okay, okay so this is view childs. I also need an element ref. So if we have a trigger, we can do something like return this dot trigger element ref dot get founding. This is not going to work in Universal, but for a demo, this is fine. Okay, you can get the width, and you can pass the width through. Okay, so now it's always going to match. Um, so it also has uh, things for height. It also has um, support for RTL. So if you, um, we have this cool little LTR RTL button to kind of help us test this. Um, so if you click the overlay when it's in RTL mode, it'll inherit the, the correct text direction based on where your trigger is. So, so yeah, it's overlay directives. So, so with the overlay service, um, 
you, you obviously mentioned you're using that with dialogues and with selects. Um, are there any other components that you envision using that with? Um, so right now, yeah, so it's selects, menus, and dialogues. I'm trying to think of what components we have left. I assume yes. <laughs> so any anything that has a floating panel, we will definitely use the overlay services with because they it solves a lot of the common problems. And is that something that you may potentially ship separate that other libraries could utilize? Yes. Yes. So the overlay services are definitely part of the component toolkit. Um, so whenever those come to maturity, that will definitely be part of it. I noticed in the um, code that you're showing in terms of the markup and stuff, um, and obviously this is a demo, uh, but you've got the, you've got the thing that's triggering the overlay and the overlay itself in the same template. Mm -hmm. Is this a pattern that people will probably end up following is doing that? Or is it going to be complex if they want to break those two off into separate components? Uh, so right. Get so, talking together. Right. That's a, that's a great question. So the reason that it's this way, um, yes, for the demo is because we're demoing the selects and for the selects, uh, the trigger and the panel are packaged together. Cause obviously if you're trying to drop in a select, you don't want to have to drop in the select trigger and then the select separately. Right. You just want to be able to put the component in and have it kind of all be packaged for you. But for things like the menu, for instance, the menu use overlay services and the menu has an arbitrary trigger. So these buttons that you see right here, um, they're just arbitrary buttons that have a menu trigger. So if you look at the menu code, which I can probably bring up, let's see. Menu um, so this is just the panel for MD menu. And then the trigger, actually, let me show you the demo text. It's easier to see how you actually use it. So if you go to menu.demo.html. Okay. So let's see. So here we have the arbitrary trigger that has an MD menu trigger um, directive on it. And then you have the menu panel itself. So these are separate. Is that kind of what you're asking? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you can definitely use them separately, and we have components that do so. It just depends on whether or not it's more or less convenient for people that are actually using the components. And then you have a you have, the library has a mix of directives and components. Is that correct? Um, yes, directives, components, services. Okay. And it, is it going to be clear to people like when they're looking to do you know these? components or when they're going to be using a, a directive? I mean, I mean, it, it should be, I mean, if our documentation is right, <laughs> it should be clear uh, how you use them. Um, for the most part, I mean, obviously we want to make all of these intuitive, right? So for things like, um, like a select, it's just an MD select for something like, um, like a button, it's an attribute directive. So it'll be button, MD button. Uh, but the reason for that is for accessibility. So you get kind of all of the native accessibility of buttons by default. Um, so there's there's advantages to making things attribute directives versus components, and we try to leverage those where we can. Okay. And then it, are, are you guys exposing all of the native uh, HTML form stuff all the way up the pipe when you have these things like uh, MD select and stuff like that? Uh, so people can tie into all the, the native events and everything that they think of at that level, at that component level? All the native events. Well, so are, are you talking about any any event that you would use for regular select, like change events, input events, that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. So, so like if you're, in, instead of having something like, if I'm going to put a, just a regular input form element on my 
form, then I know that I can get all this native stuff and I can do the, the angular binding to the, the, those native events and stuff like that. But if you're wrapping that in another component, that's rendering that internally, you obviously need to, as a, an author of that component, have to flow all that stuff up if somebody wants to be able to use right. that. Right. So, I mean, our first priority for the stuff is probably to integrate with angular forms. So all of our form control components integrate with angular forms. So that's stuff like ng model or form control. So either the forms modules to work just fine. If you're trying to bypass the forms modules, uh, you can do that too. And we have support for that. But I mean, I guess I'm biased, but personally, I just recommend using the forms modules. Um, but yeah, you should be able to do either. Okay. Here, so let cool. me get out of demoing mode. So it seems like you guys have already put a whole lot of uh, work into the library itself. I do have quite a few components out there. Uh, is there a roadmap that we could take a look at to see what is coming down the pipe and as well as uh, possibilities of jumping in and helping out with uh, development since sure. I'm just, everything's open source yeah. and good yeah, yeah. So sure. If, if you go to our main GitHub repo, uh, Material 2, on the main page, readme, we have a list of all the components um, and what status they have. So if you look at any individual component, you can see whether it has design, if it's done, if it's in progress. And then we have a link to the issue for that component so you can track it. Um, so there is a quick way to look up the status of any component. We also have a directory of design docs if you're curious. Um, even if we haven't built the component yet, you can kind of see what we're planning and what we're thinking about in terms of accessibility and API and stuff like that. So that's that's all completely public. I don't think we actually use the milestones in GitHub, but uh, the issues are a great place to look through. So, And we also have a good for community contribution label. So we'll try to use that. <laughs> it's always something to struggle with to say oh, you always wanted to have your hands on it it's like your little baby that you want to take care of uh, to allow other people to get in there and uh, contribute yeah and we, we have a contributing guide um, there's a readme in there that um, kind of explains what our thinking is on that so if you if you wanted to do something like a component um, you have to write a design doc and there's got to be discussion before obviously um, spending the time to build it so we have a whole process there if people want to contribute. Awesome. Well, we're getting to the uh, top of the hour, so uh, we're going to wrap it up with some picks. Anybody have any last questions or any points that you want to get in here before we get to our picks? No? All good? Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'll start with my pick. Uh, my pick is just uh, that there's a channel on YouTube for the NG Europe talks. So go and check that out. There's a bunch of cool talks in there, more content, uh, figure out how you're going to watch all that with all the other content that you need to schedule and watch. So that's my pick. Mike. Uh, yeah, as you can guess by uh, some of the questions I had uh, regarding animations, uh, as part of the NG Europe talks, I really suggest uh, Matthias's animation talk. Uh, there's some really exciting things coming out, uh, parameterization and uh, a lot of other uh, fun things coming into the animations uh, library. Uh, with an angular uh, my other pick is uh the new macbook pros are now said i wanted to say uh rest in peace to the magsafe uh power connector and uh also welcome to the uh, usb power and USB-C, all the things did you decide so, uh, to commit on getting one now i did i have one on order um and uh you get the one i have touchpad i did uh, i'm gonna have to figure out how to uh, map the escape key uh, to try and find that or how I'm going to manage that. 
But yeah, I jumped in with two feet. At least I have an Nexus uh, uh, phone, so I'm looking forward to the USB-C aspect. Cool. And Austin, what you got? Yeah, I got a couple. Um, so uh, there was a awesome uh, tweet uh, on the progress of some of the NGRX dev tools. Um, if you take a look at those, they're coming really far along, and, and it's really exciting to kind of see if you're jumping in that whole reactive, um, you know, mentality, you should definitely check out NGRX and some of the dev tools that they've built around that. Um, also, if you're you know, getting started with Angular 2 for the first time, um, there's a great article, video um, out there by Yuri. Um, he uh, posted, you know, just getting your feet wet to, you know, building something out. And then the last thing, WebAssembly moves to uh, browser preview in V8, which is pretty exciting. Nice, nice. And Kara, do you have any picks or anything you want to yeah. I did not prepare. <laughs> That's fine. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything. Could it be anything? Yeah, anything you want. Okay. Uh, so I just finished Elantris by Brandon Sanderson. Really enjoyed it. You guys are big fantasy fiction readers. But I would recommend anything by Brandon Sanderson then. So. Brandon, so okay. Very cool. What's your dog's name? That is actually Jeremy's dog. Oh, I always see the dog in all your uh, pictures and stuff. Yeah, that's Jeremy's dog, Mal. Um, Yeah, he's a very handsome dog. So if you ever, if you see the white dog, that's my dog, Porter. Um, So he's in our talks too. Cool. Well, we really appreciate you guys joining us today and uh, giving us all this info on um, Angular Material 2 and look forward to using it even more as it grows. So thanks a lot for joining us. We really appreciate it. All right. Take it easy. See ya. See ya.